0: From the moment I woke up out of bed that morning, I had a bad feeling in my gut. I knew I didn't want to ride. As soon as I took off, the back end of my bike came up too high, so I free fell 75 feet without the motorcycle. I couldn't feel my leg, and I'm like, oh shit. I'm paralyzed. My father was also paralyzed four years before I was. I was with dad building a tree stand. We were deer hunting, past material. He climbed up, I climbed down the tree. I took two steps back, and I heard the branch snap up top. I see my dad. And then he would say, I I can't feel or move my legs. And five years after my dad's accident, my dad ended up taking his life. So in my mind, despite how bad it was, I was literally thinking that this is the beginning of the comeback. I was at the YMCA and uh, this other kid named Kev, he rolls up beside me, he's like, hey, have you ever heard of sledge hockey before? He's like, no, I'm like, what's that? He goes, it's real sick. You get to hit people with disabilities. And so that became a new goal. Maybe I'm not going to make the X Games podium for jumping my dirt bike, but could I get to the Olympics podium? I went from like literally on the podium in the best shape of my entire life ever. So I had three investment properties, $60,000 truck, a $15,000 Harley paid for in cash. I had 20 grand in the bank and had a bronze medal. And then all of a sudden four to six months later, I was at Hamilton emergency psychiatric ward and uh, wanted to take my life again. Thought to myself, I'm like, how can I reverse this spiral? How can I spiral up, not down? And what's the first step? I got literally goosebumps in the back of my neck right now.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of You Only Die Twice. And today's guest is none other than Kevin Rempel. He is a sledge hockey Olympian, a gold medalist, silver medalist, and bronze medalist for Team Canada. And today's episode is, is a deep one. We get into uh, his family life. Uh, his background, his injury that changed his life, his perspective dealing with that injury and how he overcame a plethora of obstacles. This is not one to miss. Tune in. Mr. Kevin Rumpel, man. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Let's jump into it. let's do it i'm excited so for those who don't know obviously i know where are you from i grew up in niagara okay like vineland super small town
0: i think at the time it might have been around five thousand people but today i live in dundas near between burlington and
1: hamilton okay what's that like over there
0: it's good it's chill like small town You know, I lived in Toronto for the last seven years, just moved back, and my neighbors, like, I love my street, I love my neighbors, I love having grass again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Before you were in a condo, no grass?
0: No. You had to, like, drive 45 minutes to get some. (laughs) And what was your childhood like? Uh, Pretty chill on average. I did try a lot of stick and ball sports when I was uh, growing up. Got into hockey, was not good. Okay. (laughs) And uh, as I'm sure we're gonna get into, when my neighbors down the street got a couple dirt bikes, as soon as I heard like an engine sound, I since that point in my life been hooked on motors and wheels more than anything else.
1: <laughs> and what age was that?
0: Uh, Ten when I saw a dirt bike for the first time, and 12 when I got my first one.
1: Okay, so what? Well, yeah, I'm assuming you begged your parents and asked to get you a, a dirt bike. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> begged for two.
0: I begged for two years, and the funny thing is, uh, my dad at first he thought dirt bikes too dangerous, but We'll buy you this three-wheeler. Okay. Like,
1: like a three-wheeler is supposed to be safer
0: than a dirt bike. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I had that for two years and then at the age of 12, he finally gotcha. caved and got me a dirt bike.
1: So like, what'd you like about it? That is a dangerous sport so, or, or like, activity. So like, what, what made you gravitate towards that?
0: Speed, for sure. The okay. speed, the sound, the feeling.
1: Adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah.
0: definitely... Adrenaline I mean, not junkie. today is different, but it, when I was younger, like, for sure, I just, like, lived for adrenaline.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately, you had a bad accident. When did that happen? Yeah, when, Yeah.
0: so I could... I, I grew up, you know, throughout my teens, dirt biking. Uh, I did do some races, but broke my leg twice. Uh, <laughs> I broke my leg 3 times. Like I got hit by a car when I was 16, then I broke it on my dirt bike when I was 17, okay. and then I broke it again on when I was 18. So I tossed in the racing card and then I started pursuing freestyle motocross doing the stunts like the X Games like I mean this is after a leg break. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're talking like, you know, this is 1998, 99 when X Games was literally just getting started. Yeah, yeah. And freestyle mot- motocross was the sport was literally just being created. And so that was what I wanted to go after and then at the age of uh, 22 23 um, I started a, a business to put on stunt shows and perform my first show of Canada 06 and then two weeks later is when I crashed and had uh, a life-changing accident
1: so from about 12 to 22 you were just in motocross that's all you did you were you know you know you're doing competitions and you, and you said you developed a business from that
0: yeah when i say I started a business, I didn't right. actually, because <laughs> it was
1: very short lived. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So for the people who don't know, what is your disability and what exactly happened in your accident?
0: Yeah, so I uh, <clears throat> was at a show called Rock the Wake in Halliburton, Ontario. Okay. It's kind of like Wakestock, which I don't remember if Wakestock's even still going, but it's extreme action sports and music festival and wakeboard like and all that stuff. And uh, first jump of the day, practice, just wasn't mentally focused. I was pissed off being there because other riders were getting paid to jump that day, not me, I was like not getting paid that day. Why? Um, They'd gotten the gig. Um, okay. The ramps for my business that I'd ordered hadn't arrived Mm. and didn't have the deal sorted out in time. So the event promoter said, hey, you know, like I can't pay you, but if you want to come for experience or exposure, you're welcome to still show up. and. I'm super open book like my ego is just like I didn't understand it at the time but my ego was like super inflated and so I thought well I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm angry I'm pissed I'm angry I'm gonna go there and I show these guys up and uh, just do my thing and then peace out and it's gonna be great but from the moment I woke up and out of bed that morning like I had a bad feeling in my gut I knew I didn't want to ride and that all funneled into that moment where I hit the f- jump for the first time in afternoon practice and because i was nervous i rushed my warm up the crowds there the riders are there um as soon as i took off the back end of my bike came up too high because it wasn't in the, the correct body position and mid-air i had to like make a decision to either stay on the bike or jump off and i decided to, to ditch the bike because i was afraid if i stayed with it i'd head dive so i would rather land on my legs And uh, so I free fell 75 feet without the motorcycle onto steel landing ramp and caught like the last like three feet of the transition before I would have landed flat ground from about like 75 or 80 feet in the distance.
1: Wow. Which is... Which is worse? Is I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't know much about that. So is it is it probably better to land the way you did or should you have done the other, like, head? I'm, I'm assuming head dive wouldn't be good either. But...
0: <laughs> oh, it wouldn't. Well, that's the fun. Like, I laugh like it is a, it is a hilarious yeah, thing. I, was, I don't
1: know. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, but like as a rider, you know, in extreme sports, like you have, hopefully you don't, but many do is you know crashing is not a matter of if but when right okay right 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 so when those things happen it's like a lot goes through your head in, in just a sec, millisecond and yeah the midair it's like you have a split second decision to make and i'm like if i stay on i'm gonna head dive but if i jump off i'll probably land on my legs and break my legs because that's actually a better day
1: okay so like hmm.
0: that literally was going through my head the in lesser the of two evils yeah 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 yeah, and we, had, we got the crash on camera, so it's like I can now see on camera in hindsight that I probably could have held, hung on to the motorcycle and rode out of it somehow, even if it would have been in a crash, but stayed on the bike. But, you know, I don't worry about that because if I didn't have a video, I wouldn't know the difference anyways.
1: Right. So when you landed, did you know right away? Oh yeah, I was like... <laughs> yeah, you knew. Yeah, right. I
0: was jacked up. I <clears throat> Air was knocked out of my lungs. I'm on right. the ground, kind of like feeble position. And, uh, when I, the paramedics were over my head before I even could breathe properly cause they were right there. And, uh, I tried moving and I tried to like uncross my legs and I, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then I put my hand on my right knee to, to push my leg off. And when I put my hand on my knee, I, I couldn't feel my leg and I'm like, Oh shit.
1: I'm paralyzed. Oh, you knew right away then.
0: Yeah. oh yeah okay yeah it was like a knife twisting in my back i it was excruciating pain like broke my back you know, after the x-rays and everything broke my back my pelvis my ribs and like i was done
1: <laughs> okay so a- after you came to then what went through your mind like you went to the hospital and you're like oh like i like i gotta deal with this now
0: yeah i mean obviously there's like depth to the story in terms of which direction we go but the one thing i would share you know, I'm a keynote speaker today, yeah. I, I share my story frequently, and one of the lessons is, or the, the, what went through my head, was that my, my friend Chris, who was filming, he captured the crash on film, put the camera down, ran over, got his way through the crowd, through the paramedics, grabbed my hand, he's like, Remps, I love you, man. Hmm. And I literally grabbed Chris's hand, and I said, Chris, I love you too, man. You are filming this, right? <laughs> That's what you said? I swear. Why, why, I why did that go through your mind? I literally asked Chris, I'm like, are you filming this? And he apologized to me and he stepped back and he turned the camera back on. That is no joke. I've, Chris has like shared that before. <laughs> and I'm dead serious because in my mind, what was going through my mind is that In our sport, like number one, if you crash, you always wanna get your crash on film. It's like you don't wanna waste a crash.
1: You don't wanna waste a crash, that's such an ironic thing. Why why would you not wanna waste a crash? It's the worst part of it.
0: Because you're often trying to create a video part, a video segment. Like, that's how your name often gets out there is, like, you become a part of a series of, you know, back then it was DVD, VHS tapes. Yeah, for I was gonna sakes. say, we
1: didn't even have DVD yet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, you know, we're filming to create a video segment and you always want to see the guy crash and get back up and then go ah. bust a trick again or, you know, come back and win. So in my mind, despite how bad it was, I was literally thinking in my mind that this is the beginning of the comeback.
1: Oh, wow. Like, you I'm like, Chris, don't think
0: this it. is over. Like, Shit. this is... The the story's still going, and that's the me- that's one of the many messages that I share, in as a keynote speaker. Yeah, it's like I ask the audience, like, what do you say to yourself when you get knocked down?
1: The worst things, the worst possible <laughs> things, if you're asking me. Yeah, yeah a lot. Of a
0: lot of people will think, you know, it's over. Or, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. It's like now what? Or you know, I'm wh- whatever negative thing. But it's like, I challenge everyone to reconsider, like what do you say to yourself and how can you become a hero in your own story? I knew that I wanted to be just like my heroes and that was already embedded in my mind. Mm. And so, it's in the culture where when we fall down, we pick ourselves back up because that's just what we do.
1: You don't have a choice. you stay down or you get up, one of the two.
0: Yeah, it's like, it it wasn't even, it wasn't, it's like I didn't even consider not wanting to continue.
1: You said um, you just, you just spoke on your heroes. Who are they? Who, who helped you get through all the tough days that you had? You know,
0: uh, in terms of people I look up to, plus the people that were close to me, you know, heroes I idolized were the extreme sports athletes oh, okay. and over time that's changed into entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. you know, when I played sledge hockey, we haven't, mm-hmm. we're gonna touch on-
1: Oh uh, we, yeah, we're know, gonna get there. Sports and <laughs> stuff like
0: that. So the heroes I've admired evolved, Uh, the people that have supported me tremendously you know um number one my mom has been there like she went through hell and back supporting me yeah and uh you know friends in particular the the one guy that i rode dirt bikes with i thought was my best friend he was never there and then the one guy that i didn't really care for he was there more than anybody else in the hospital and visiting
1: isn't that funny how
0: that works yeah yeah so yeah a lot of family and friends that like you know just kept the social like kept me connected to dirt bikes at that time still and we would go ride and i, I had a lot of support i'm really grateful for 100 percent.
1: so what what is your actual condition because you walked in here so <laughs> you are paralyzed but you can walk you can move um how would you describe it
0: i'm an incomplete paraplegic what does that mean it means that how i fractured my vertebrae is i fractured and dislocated my spinal cord. Okay. My my bar, I fractured dislocated my spine. My spinal cord was pulled and pinched. Realigned it, bruising, swelling, damage. That's what creates a lot of the nerve damage that I still live with. Right. Muscle atrophy, pins and needles, uh, f- chronic f- pain, fatigue, bowel bladder issues.
1: That's the day-to-day challenges you have even even to this day. Oh yeah,
0: every single day. Every single day. Every single day. Every single day non-stop 24/7. And so I live with an invisible disability. So despite right. walking, I still have a spinal cord injury. I'm just not a paraplegic that requires
1: a wheelchair, wheelchair. every right. single day to get around. Right. Um, so, so interesting. So are you like are you in pain right now?
0: Uh, like, I'm good right now. Yeah, like, it depends on what I'm doing. Right. You know, um, sometimes it's pain. Most of the times it's just discomfort. Okay. Uh, my spasms, reco- like... Where my my calf muscles cramp, mm-hmm. uh, or my feet will twitch. Um, it forces me to like stand up frequently, so I have a standing desk at home, ergonomic computer chairs. Like I really like sometimes I think that that motor in the standing desk should be burnt out because of how much I have to go Move, up and down. Yeah, yeah. But that gives me the flexibility to uh, keep working, so I can keep moving around and doing things.
1: And every day you just you just push through that without any no excuses.
0: <clears throat> like overall correct but I mean I still have my bad days yeah, and I still do. have yeah. days where I'm frustrated like, there's still a lot of days where I'm like you know by myself and like I'm like are you in my head I'm like fuck man
1: yeah
0: <laughs> it's like like uh, I, I was talking with um, someone I just met his name's Jay met him a couple two three weeks ago so in a couple weeks he was you know getting to know me and he said one t- after about third time we were chatting he's like I don't think you realize how much you've done or or what you've overcame Cause I talk about it kind of nonchalantly. You
1: do, uh, yeah, yeah. Even even on our previous call, <laughs> it's like, my mind was blown and you were just, you know, casual conversation, yeah.
0: So last week when I was at a corporate function where I delivered my keynote in a workshop, I intentionally put, I, I, I spoke more to the difficulty uh-huh. and it really connected with the audience. And it's like, because for that re- that conversation with Jay. And so, like I say, I mean, You know there's a lot of days where it's I don't even know if discouraging is a strong enough word Mm -hmm. I don't want to use the word depressing because I don't feel depressed but it's like every single morning of my life right now when I wake up I have to wait till I get out of bed to get my feet firmly planted on the floor because the spasms are so tight before I can walk to the shower often when I get into the shower because I have my body hasn't had time to loosen up in the morning I may just like be sitting there with the hot water running while my head's on the wall. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm just so sore that it takes so much energy to Mm -hmm. shower. And you know, daily tasks such as like cooking food. And I know I can order meal prep and this and that, but I got digest like digestion challenges because of the nerve damage that I need to make specific meals that really help me. And it's like, it takes so much energy Mm -hmm. to cook. It takes so much energy to clean. And yes, I want to hire somebody, I'm working on that, but it's like, it's super frustrating when I feel like I'm doing a workout
1: when I'm doing daily tasks. Like that is the reality of my life. And stuff that other people may take for granted as, as we normally do. So interesting enough, your, 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 your outlook is different and your, your father, <clears throat> had the same injury, or had an injury like yours, four years before you did. Yes. How did he deal with it?
0: Yeah, so that's the kicker, and that's where this mindset could I have came from, from, Mm. is my dad, when I was 19 years old, four years before my accident, we were deer hunting, in Grimsby, out towards Niagara, Yep. and yeah, building a tree stand, the branch broke.
1: What's a tree stand, sorry? Uh,
0: just it's literally just a few pieces of wood up in the tree so that you can have a a shot up high for with a crossbow or a compound bow excuse me to shoot a deer or a fox or turkey whatever you want to do right so uh yeah i was with dad passed material to him and uh he climbed up i climbed down the tree i took two steps back and i heard the branch snap up top and i looked up and i see my dad just like fall and clear the whole side of the tree off
1: how did he land (laughs) like
0: a like a dead body (laughs) just like he landed on it it happened so fast but he just like thud hit the ground and like tumbled and rolled a little bit and yeah he was uh in excruciating pain himself (laughs) just like me and um cognitively he was he had his marbles knocked a little bit he kept asking like uh what was he saying he kept saying where am I? What happened? Yeah, we don't, he kept saying he's like, "Where am I? What happened?" And then he would say, "I, I can't feel or move my legs." Mm. And then like two seconds later, he's like, "Where am I? What happened? I can't feel or move my legs." And uh, so I grabbed the keys out of my dad's coat pocket, ran, and called nine one one. Anyways, he, so he he became uh, paralyzed uh, eight months from retirement, and he severed his spinal cord. He basically like damaged it so bad it was essentially cut so he was a complete paraplegic Mm -hmm. I'm an incomplete cuz I I had damaged but still recovered recovered, dad was like complete like no recovery and long story short he really struggled to navigate his life with a disability after his accident Uh, real negative attitude he did try I don't want to say that my dad didn't try but overall negativity pessimism cynicism Gambling addiction because he couldn't enjoy pension money through retirement um, led to mom leaving dad, mm. and five years after my dad's accident, mom left dad not because of my dad's disability, but because of my dad's attitude towards his disability. And then seven weeks after my mom left, my dad ended
1: up taking his life. How did uh I'm sorry, give me a sec. Uh that's a lot. That's a lot. How did that affect the way you wanted to go forward in in your own life? Yeah, it was uh
0: yeah, again, like today I feel like, you know, if we're just chilling on the street for example, I'm like, yeah, it's cool. I appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah, it's no big deal. It's like I kinda I don't know if I would say I brushed it off because you know I, I know that Dad made the decision that he thought was right for him. I don't think he needed to do that. Yeah, um, it's in the past, but yeah, it was it was extremely different. You know, it was it was awful at the time. I mean, at that point, after all that had been happening, you know, when Dad passed away, I felt just numb. I felt so numb to the world, like nothing mattered, nothing hurt me, nothing phased me, and and it was almost a full year of feeling that. And uh, <clears throat> then the year later um i i felt suicidal i thought about doing
1: what my dad would what my dad did and then no one would blame me yeah i was gonna say no one would no one blame you for that yeah but
0: as i i speak about in my keynote you know similar to when i got knocked down i knew in that moment that i had to make a choice about what do i want my story to be and what I knew is that I didn't want to start something in my family that I didn't want to continue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If, I, if dad takes his life and then Kevin takes his life, does that mean my sister's going to take her life? My mom's going to take her life? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's okay for Remples to take their life.
1: Because of all the things that have happened.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, don't want to, I don't want to start that. And I also thought in my mind, thinking back, you know, what would my hero do? And my hero, I know, whoever that may be, is someone that would not give up. And I said, I literally said to myself that this is not the final, this is not going to be the ending of my story, and that the final chapter has not been written yet.
1: So, so commendable, seriously, so commendable. You've been through a lot more than most people could uh, even comprehend at a young age. And, um, you know, you touched on this a bit earlier, but your mother, like she, she was dealing with two people in wheelchairs at a time at the same time what was her experience like today? We can talk more openly
0: about it. Like I know that my mom definitely like, you know, well, number one, she's extremely strong for sure. hundred percent. She, uh, didn't show how much she really struggled trying to support everyone through everything. Um, she's, I'm super grateful. I'm proud. Like my mom is good doing great today. Um, she just recently retired so she's enjoying life Um, but yeah she was definitely a rock for myself and dad and for the family that's for sure (laughs) yeah I know it's a lot it's like like I said I mean when I when I talk with people about it like it's it's weird it's only weird for me because I do want to talk about it like it's no big deal but I know from people that are listening that it's not
1: it's not like it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. It's just so uncommon. And you've, I think you've handled it, handled so much gracefully. You know, the fact that you're even open and willing to discuss it is, is difficult, you know.
0: Yeah. And so for me, that's something, that's a lesson I'd love to share with people. It's like, you know, a lot of what I learned from my dad, you know, I, you can learn. Mo- many of us are driven by either what we want or what we don't want. hmm and I find that I've been driven a lot by what I don't want and what a lot of what I don't want or what I learned was from my dad about being stubborn and not speaking up and how that affects you and everybody else. And so it taught me to speak up. And three the three A's I share in all my presentations are admit, ask, and accept. Admit you're struggling and that's okay because often we'll be our biggest obstacle to overcome first. Mm-hmm. Number two, ask for help because no one knows you're struggling unless you say something. We're so good at putting on a mask. We actually gotta reach out and vocalize it, talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And then the third A is accept. It's like if you have a solution in front of you, put it into practice. Make the phone call. Set the appointment. Read the book. Like, you know, download the app. Put, set 10 minutes aside to meditate. Whatever you got to do. Because my dad would have appointments with a psychologist, psychiatrist. He canceled, postponed the appointments. And it's like what I learned we learned as a family is you can only do so much to help someone who's not willing to help themselves.
1: Big time. So...
0: I I get fired up about it. It's like, I like talking about it. I'm not scared to say, I've called the suicide hotline three times when I was in my twenties. You know, I've, I've been super depressed. I know what the dark place feels like, but I think part of the reason why I come with like energy and enthusiasm is because I want people to see, number one, have hope. Number two, see possibilities. You know three recognize that like this is not the end it's like holy shit it's like if kev done kev's done this and he can get get himself back to a place where he like he's kicking ass where he's loving life it's like i want people to see that they can do that for themselves too Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be doom and gloom it's like if we if we want to dive deeper into like the difficulties I'm, i'm down to go that road it's like i can talk all about the hell and back yeah you know yeah but it's like i also want people to not feel like you have to live there it's like no there's this other side to depression to you know, suicide, that it's like, you can get back to this kick-ass place where you're living life and you're like, oh yeah, that old thing, it's like, whatever, yeah, that happened a long time ago. You know, let's talk about it, see if I can help you through your challenge because of what I've overcame.
1: Well said, well said. <laughs> uh, before before your, your accident, what were you trying to accomplish?
0: I just, so to give people context, my keynote's titled The Hero Mindset. Yeah. To help, I wanna help inspire people to become a hero in their own story. Right. So what I was trying to accomplish was live my dream, was to become that hero in my own story. Like I wanted to jump a dirt bike, get paid, you know, r- ride in front of a crowd, sign autographs, and I did that on my first show. <clears throat> but then when it was, uh, yeah, when I crashed two weeks later, you know, it, was, it, was, it ended, um, this would be a great segue to talk about sledge hockey. I
1: was about to ask, who introduced you to, <laughs> who introduced you to sledge hockey?
0: Yeah, I was um, at, uh, after my accident, trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I did dirt bike, but I couldn't jump, and the risk, you know, was pretty high to just get injured again. So I was at the YMCA, and I saw a flyer on the wall for wheelchair basketball. Okay. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't know about the Paralympics. Um, the only thing I knew was wheelchair racing. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll give ball a try. But I never played. I. To this day, I couldn't tell you all the rules of basketball. <laughs> you know. Don't worry. I couldn't tell you any of the rules of motocross or anything else. So we're, we're even.
1: We're
0: even. Uh, but I was like, you know, it's, it's more fun than racing wheelchairs is what I thought. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a try. And uh, this other kid named Kev, also with a spinal cord injury, in a wheelchair, and I was in a wheelchair still at that time, he rolls up beside me. He's like, hey, have you ever heard of sledge hockey before? Hmm
1: shout out to kev <laughs> yeah
0: for real and i was like no i'm like what's that he goes it's real sick you get to hit people with disabilities <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a good that's a good one yeah i know and i was thing. like and you were like yes yeah, i'm like up. no i was
0: like that, that sounds so wrong and i'm like where do i sign yeah. up <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's good, that's really
0: good. <laughs> yeah, Kev's a joker, we're still tight friends. But uh, yeah, it was hilarious, and I was like, I had no idea that it even existed. So, and that's another lesson for my audience whenever I'm sharing my story. It's like, when you get knocked down, sometimes a setback, a tragedy, COVID's a great example, or you know, maybe you lose your job, layoff, you know, separation, oh, yeah. whatever. All of those things. It's like, you feel like that might be the end. But the thing is, what I've learned is that you don't know what's on the other side and you don't know when that's going to show up. I spent two years learning how to live life, become, create a new identity or discover whatever the heck identity I could even have Mm -hmm. before I even knew the Paralympics existed, before I then joined Team Canada. And it's like, how many times do we feel like we just, like, oh this is it, this is the end. I want people to see this like, there's something greater out there for you You just might not be able to see it yet. And when people are trying to like rebuild their life or get to that next phase, um, like I, I mentor, especially, you know, other people who acquire spinal cord injuries as much as possible. And they're asking me the same questions, you know, Kev, like, how long did it take you to learn how to walk again? Like, how am I, how soon am I going to get back on my feet? I'm like, look, one of the best, best phrases that somebody ever told me was the baby will walk when the baby walks. You know, parents, you know, we have an idea of how long it takes to like, for a baby, a you child to learn is. how to walk. But it's like, it might, I don't, I don't, I have a child, so I don't know. Yes. It, I, don't know I don't know if it's like six weeks or six months. Yeah, I don't know. Don't worry. But I'm it's still like. still learning how to walk. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs>
1: I, should, I should laugh.
0: You can laugh. laugh. You can laugh. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's I'll you.
1: give you the pass. Okay. You got a hall pass. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> that's my, that's my, that's my one, that's my one disability joke. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: all good. But it's like, you know, like, Everybody's recovery is different. It's like, again, if you're, you know gone through a separation, you might meet your par- next partner a, a week down, a week later walking down the street,
1: Yeah. you know? But would you admit that it's so hard to see something that you can't see? Exactly. Right? It's like, I'm, yeah, like, you know, if you get laid off, if whatever happens, how do you see something that isn't there?
0: So my answer to that is, you know, to become this hero in your own story, to have a vision, to create a vision in your mind of whatever that is that you want. and it, doesn't mean that you're going to have to have clarity on that immediately, but work to figure that out. For me, it was all the minuscule things that, you know, sometimes people laugh about, but I think matter. You know, I created a vision board. I put it at the end of my bed. Mm-hmm. I created a quote board. I put it above my toilet because I was living at home rehab. And so six, eight times a day, I'm going to the bathroom to go pee. I'm reinforcing the beliefs in my mind that I that I want to... to um, you know, be at the forefront of my mind. I can't think of the word right now. So like vision board, quote board, I was, I, that's when I dove into reading. That's when I started journaling. That's when I started goal setting. And, it was, and Team Canada was on that vision board. Mm. But like I was literally doing everything I could to feed my mind with the beliefs, the vision that I wanted to create in my life after a disability. And I think so often we can overlook that stuff. Oh, it's cheesy, why would I do a vision board? Why would I care about what's on the background of my phone or my desktop? You know, one of the things I find interesting, I'm not saying right or wrong. You got to figure out what's right for you. But like some people have a picture of the family. I'm not saying the family doesn't matter. But what are you striving for that's going to help support your family? Yeah. You see your family 24, you know, not 24 seven, some do at home. But it's like you're feeding your mind with all these micro moments. And the more we can become conscious of that, I believe the faster we're going to get to the, you know, achieving the goals that we really want in our life.
1: So you got all these mental, physical, and emotional challenges you faced. Why even go into sledge hockey? Like, why, why make Team Canada a priority? Because you already had essentially the, not to say the easy way out, but you didn't have to do any of that. You could have you just lived a, a normal life. You didn't have to go and compete and hit other people with disabilities. <laughs> so why, why sledge hockey? Why did you choose to do that?
0: When I found Sledge, you know, number one, like I said, I sucked playing hockey as a kid, okay. so I was like, you know, this would be round two. Yeah,
1: like, okay. yeah, <laughs> let's
0: see if I could do a better job this time. Right. Um, the second thing is that I I felt like you know, uh, my motocross career was short lived, but this would be an you know the next the next podium. Mm-hmm. I'm not, maybe I'm not going to make the X Games podium for jumping my dirt bike, but could I get to the Olympics podium? And so that became a new goal, and. I also just enjoy the physicality side of it. Like with motocross, putting a helmet on is like my happy place okay. or riding a Harley. And so, you know, kind of reliving that in a new way through through sledge hockey. When I put a hockey helmet on, it's like, you know, you're in the zone. You've, you forget about your disability. You forget about the problems in the world. You're out there skating. It does, I don't feel my pain. I don't feel my discomfort. I'm just cruising, flowing around the ice. And that's the beauty for everyone that plays the sport. It's like you forget that you even have a disability when you're on the ice because you're just out there having fun with your friends.
1: And you have some pretty cool highlights. You have gold medal, you have bronze medal. Talk about what was the most um, important or impactful um, part of your sledge hockey career.
0: Important or impactful? Um,
1: or most accomplished.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, the Paralympics, is, like we won gold at the Worlds in twenty. 20- 2013 in south korea that was amazing cool and we got a bronze in sochi uh i only played one year after that four-year olympic cycle so in terms of like i mean i'm definitely proud of those accomplishments um i'm super grateful for the players that i had an opportunity to learn from you know in motocross i I wanted to be around the one good rider that was better than me to get better quickly Mm -hmm. and so i i Taking that principle to sledge, when I started playing, like guys like uh, Billy Bridges, Greg Westlake, Brad Bowden, you know, I drove an hour and a half, two hours to skate with those guys for just one hour at a time, just to be around the best players. And I'm really grateful for the the veterans that I had to surround myself with that really helped me elevate my game real fast, and uh, something that I'm just proud of, of my experience in sledge hockey overall. <clears throat> Is that it gave me a platform to help grow the sport, to give back to people with disabilities, to you know, I started a team building business um, after to raise, and part of that was a fundraising component to buy sleds for kids. Mm. So playing the sport gave me a platform for my speaking career, and it also gave me a platform as an entrepreneur that created a, this uh, component where something i'm so proud of is like i mean covid shut it down and i plan to do something again in the future but we raised 32 grand and bought brand new sleds and sticks and hockey gear for 30 kids and and brought the donors together at the ice with the parents got the donors on the ice with the kids skating skating so you like literally get to see your dollars in action Mm. right like you you hear people talk about it where your money goes it's like no like this is like physical sled here's the actual child Who needs a custom piece of equipment so that they can go play and you're going to get on the ice with them and their new equipment and then go skate, like, it is magic. It's just magical and that's one of my favorite memories of my entire,
1: I don't know, 14 year sledge hockey career or something like that. So not even gold medal, that was the monumental moment for you. That's
0: something that I'm like massively proud of,
1: yeah. No, that's that's, that's brilliant. Um, So sledge hockey kind of became your new motocross. It did yes and you essentially poured the rest of, like you know as you said maybe 14 years of your life into that when it came time to stop how'd you handle that
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to detour this this story again real fast here <laughs> yeah. back to the challenge but i but obviously that's why you know i'm here and that's why we're clicking and where we how we even connect exactly. in the first place exactly yeah so i i heard about post-olympic depression and swore my my life. I'm like, that's not going to be me. You know, yeah, yeah, I've got yeah. to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was good for about, you know, maybe two months, three max. Excuse me. You know, <clears throat> and uh, I wrote about it in my book, my autobiography. Like, you know, I came home from the Paralympics. Um, I did, I'm transparent. It's like, I got some insurance money. I didn't have a lawsuit, but I, I received some money that's for my rehab and I put it into real estate. So came back from Paralympics. I had three investment properties. Mm-hmm. You know, a sixty thousand dollar truck, a fifteen thousand dollar Harley, paid for in cash. I had twenty grand in the bank and had a bronze medal.
1: Living good. <laughs> it you
0: was pretty good. sweet, yeah. and I just got my braces off too. Oh, straight teeth, straight teeth. On <laughs> straight top of, that. On top of that, I felt great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was good for about two, three months, and then all of a sudden, phew, it was like a fucking landslide. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, post-olympic depression just set in. I was like, you know, I felt like a joke. I felt like a fraud. I didn't want to play, I didn't want to talk about it, and I went from like literally on the podium in the best shape of my entire life ever to like four to six months later, I was at Hamilton Emergency Psychiatric Ward. Again, never hurt myself, never attempted anything, but I just was in such a dark place and uh, wanted to take my life again. I couldn't figure out what life was gonna look like after sport. The
1: house, the money, the car, the bike, None of it mattered. By the way, you got back on a bike after your injury as well. Yes, right? I did. So you yeah. so you can check that box as well. But none of that other stuff actually mattered. None of, the, none of the things that essentially you would say would set you up after you're done playing, none of it helped you.
0: No. And I was getting calls for speaking gigs too. People wanted me to share my story. And honest, again, my ego was inflated. You know, I thought I was... Even then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like talking about it because I wish I knew then what I know now. Obviously, like yeah, we—that's yeah. that's life, everyone, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, every, everyone, yeah, for sure.
0: They're like, how much better could my life be today if I didn't have yeah. that get in the way back then? Right. But uh, yeah, I was like, my head was too big, and um, so, I, but even when I was getting calls for speaking gigs, you know, I didn't know how to negotiate, or I turned gigs down because I thought they weren't enough, or whatever. And um, and then that's part of what just kind of put me in this dark hole where I felt by myself mm-hmm. because I was. I thought it, I don't know. It was a combination of both maybe thinking I was a big shot. At the same time, I didn't know what the hell to do. So you you just like, from what I did anyways, was like kind of retreat, you know? I don't want to ask. I don't want to tell. That's depression. You start going inside your own mind and all of a sudden it's like you only have you and your thoughts and then you just spiral down and that's what happened to me. And you and your
1: thoughts are a very dangerous thing. The mind (laughs) is not designed to, to be, um, any sort of cheerleader it's designed to essentially keep you alive
0: right and that's and now as I've learned like that's the ego like the ego wants to keep you safe yeah and so if that means you don't talk to somebody because you think you're right that's the ego Mm. or you know if I don't take that speaking gig because it's not an you know there's budgeting matters for some events but it's like you know they're too small of a company or an event like I'm I'm not even gonna share my story like that's the ego keeping you safe And if you're like, hey, I should really talk to somebody because I'm struggling and then your voice inside your head says, no, don't do that because you don't want to look weak or you got to handle it. It's not that big of a deal. Like that's the ego talent. Like that's the ego keeping you in control. Whereas like if you know you should be going to speak up and say something like that's your authentic self. And uh, but yeah that's why I talk about it is because like, and it's all in hindsight, but the ego like ran the show for
1: many years of my life. But you've like, you dealt with your, you know, the death of your father, you've seen your family change. You've, you know, you, you had your own accident. Retirement should have been a breeze, right? You've, you had all these things. It should have been easy. What, but, but was your, was your own identity tied up into such? Oh
0: yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause it, yeah, all the questions that are going through your head are like, you know, if I'm not a Paralympian, who am I? If I'm not going to speak because I didn't want to be on stage, who am I? What are you going to do? Yeah. And it's like, <clears throat> yeah, if I'm not Team Canada, who am I? That was going through the head too. And again, not wanting to admit it. Like, then, you know, today because of COVID, I think the stigma's significantly been reduced or it's more accepted now, mental health. But that's the challenge of Olympians. Like, since 2014, like, uh, HBO did a documentary with Michael Phelps and Sean White, all talking about suicide and depression and yes. the same thing. And it's like, that's the problem I also encountered myself. It's like, you know, how can the guy that was just on the podium at the top of the world with all this stuff going on that's in his favor be feeling this way? And so I, like them, felt like I can't talk about it or I shouldn't talk about it.
1: And, and I watched that documentary because of you. And one of the speakers committed suicide at the end. Um,
0: the HBO one?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember his name, but he was, uh, I think, a skier or a snowboarder. I don't remember. But um, one of them was doing the, speak, uh, the, the speech, and then and then he took his own life. And it's I didn't realize how much of a thing that was. So you know, post Olympic depression is a is a is a real problem. And I, I think when you get to a certain level of whether you're Olympian or pro, it is really hard to separate it from you because you're. You know, you're an adult, it is your identity.
0: What do you say, when I, when I first connected with you, I remember reading in your article, you said that uh, ball is life, but life like is not, not ball. ball? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's, that's a killer, it's not just a line, but it's like, it just, that's a punchline that it can be applicable to so many different sports or lives or professions.
1: Because it's that, that, was the, that was the real way that I kind of helped uh, separate myself from what I was doing. And mm-hmm. that, that's 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 a big part of why I'm doing this, or even mm-hmm. you know wanting to discuss these things with you, because it's it's getting to that second part of things, and as you said, you know, becoming your your own hero, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and when you get to you know your identity part, how is that experience you know for you separating yourself from such hockey, and and then you know getting into the speaking engagements, yeah, and finding a new purpose.
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm so thankful that you are speaking about it, like, creating these conversations, and that's the challenge that many face, like, you know, I'll I'll never forget a call I got um, from a corporate organization, they're like, hey, can you chat with one of our employees, it was because the father found his son, who was a university football athlete, trying to hang himself in the basement, because he hurt his uh, knee, and his university scholarship career was taken away, so now the kid's suicidal, now the dad's having trouble, you know what I mean? and but it's because of identity who the kids thinking who am i if i'm not this university athlete
1: well because you're given everything because you are the athlete Mm -hmm. you you find a sense of importance you find a sense of meaning you find uh you find you know popularity if you're a guy women if you're a girl man whatever the case is you you're given all of these things because you're an athlete and then to take that away from you and just go back and be normal it's like what how do you do that
0: yeah, yeah. The, the quote-unquote normal life outside of sport feels different.
1: Yeah, bland, <laughs> Un- unseasoned. <laughs> Bland's a great way yeah, compared to yeah. when you travel the world and do all fun right, stuff,
0: right? But yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> I mean, even today, I have to like try and check myself still, because like, although I'm a keynote speaker, it's like I know that I'm just Kevin. Like this is, this is something I do. This is not who I am.
1: Did you have that approach when you were when you were leaving? Sports that shocking.
0: No, when I was leaving sport,
1: I thought this is who uh, I am. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. how long did it take you to get over that?
0: Years, honestly, it took me years. I'm not gonna say that that was an easy one.
1: Like, Are you still doing it.
0: I feel confident and comfortable that I knew who I am today versus what I do today. I feel Big quite, quite yeah. confident about that today, yeah. but I am now eight years post
1: sport. Yeah, big gap <laughs> a lot of time in between but transition often means a shift in in routines and a shift in like daily practices um, When you were going through that what did you do? How did you change your your day-to-day if, if at all? Well that that
0: was Absolutely a significant reason why I got into depression uh-huh. after the Olympics because everything I did was on routine prioritized nutrition sleep exercise You know i had a goal i was working towards that was not easily attainable the olympics and so i had a purpose to wake up out of bed every single day and then when i stopped when i didn't want to play anymore i had no purpose i had no goal and i stopped doing everything that got me to the podium and that's where that downward spiral happened so when i was at that dark rock bottom place what i then said to myself i asked myself in that moment i'm like what decisions did i make that brought me to this place and when I was in that psych ward, the, the, the thoughts that went through my mind where I, I stopped eating, I stopped training, I stopped like I'm outside, I'm out drinking, you know, I uh, have no goals, etc. And I literally, literally thought to myself, I'm like, how can I reverse this spiral? How can I spiral up, not down? And what's the first step? And what went through my mind was, I don't have the energy to work out. My sleep is still out of whack what I need to eat. Can I at least go to the store and buy some apples, then rather than the chips or the, the granola bars or whatever? It's like, can I just start fe- fueling myself with some better nutrition? If I can feel better, I can then probably make the next right decision. Which was then to hire my trainer, even though I didn't have the money because I'd blown it. And it's <laughs> <That's> honest. <laughs> and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm. I'm like I need accountability yes so just get me to the gym and then when you so I was eating better exercising now I'm getting tired again which makes sleep become easier to get into that rhythm and that was how I started to like spiral up again Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it, it was because I'd let go of the habits and routines and then decided to like rebuild them that I got myself out of that
1: in that moment or in those moments what did you learn about yourself
0: Uh, don't stop (laughs) fundamentals
1: we'll start with that what I
0: learned well in terms of like what I learned about myself I definitely showed proved to myself again that I am resilient and I have grit and perseverance and I mean throughout the whole entire journey not just one moment it's like even why we're here together today it's like I learned that there are so many different people who are going through similar challenges and that the more we can share our stories, the more we can help other people through our experience.
1: Bingo. Couldn't agree more. That, that is why we're here. <laughs> yeah. uh, you said offline to me a while back and I want to touch upon this, um, excuse me, off camera. You said um, that you continued to play in sledge hockey, even though you, you probably should have stopped a while yeah. ago. So why yeah. did you continue going back to it? Yeah. Gr- how long did you, do you think you should have maybe said, all right, I'm done with this? But you were too scared to find out what's on the other side of being done.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that part up. Because for
1: athletes that post-Olympic sport life,
0: or just post-sport life, um, <clears throat> yeah, I so after the Paralympics, summer goes through, depression, you know, I'm getting myself out of it. Selection camp started late the next year because there was a turnover in staff. So I get the invite because I was on the team. And, uh, I knew that I didn't want to play, but again, I was like still not talking much about it. And, uh, so, and I had spent the 20 K that I had and I wasn't doing speaking gigs. So I was like, fuck, I'm like, I need to make some money. And so I was like, "I'm. I better, I should go play another year. People say, well, why wouldn't you keep playing if you can, you know, exactly. Well, you're exactly. an Olympian. Why wouldn't you go to another Olympics?
1: That's the dream. Right? You know? hey, why, why not? Yeah. Why not stay in it?
0: So. I thought I should, I knew that I could, and I needed the money too. And I wasn't excited to be there, but I was like, I was too chicken scared or nervous to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So I said to myself, I'm like, okay, I'll go play another year. Maybe the team changes would help. But um, it was an awful year for the team overall, and just nobody was really happy. And I wasn't happy. And then on top of that, I, um, a lot of people don't know it, I'm not going to get into sp- probably specifics or anything about it, but I I know that I was butting heads with the coach too. Okay. And that was because of my own stubborn attitude more than anything. And uh, so yeah, I played for the paycheck, not because I really wanted to play. And um, so we go through the next summer and we're at the next selection camp in like August prepping for the next season. And uh, I ended up getting cut, which was but absolutely the right decision the coach made. Mm -hmm. And what I learned, like I got cut because of my attitude, which is ironic because I was talking about my dad not having a good attitude. But uh, that happens in sport,
1: don't they? you know? Oh, attitude is a big part of it. That happens.
0: Yeah, I, I felt like the, you know, I felt like the victim for many different reasons. It's like, you know, a post limit depression. Who could blame me? You know, if it wasn't for the, the coach or the teammate or whatever, it's like I wouldn't. I'd be having more fun playing, and then my attitude. It's like all all that dumb stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I got cut, and the lesson that I'll never forget, in like the the moment that it happened, was. You're better to make the decision for yourself before someone makes it for you. What do you mean by that? I knew I should have left the sport a year earlier Mm. to go on to life after sport, Mm -hmm. but because I was too chicken and scared, I subconsciously put it on somebody else to make the decision for me. (laughs) Right? Yeah, 100%. And as a result, as I look back in my life, it's like I lost a year that I could have been doing something significantly more important to contribute towards my life that it is today or the dream of building that team building business I created and to also have like it was a selfish decision to play that extra year because I'm taking away a spot on the team from somebody else that actually does want to be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that I'm not alone in this because I've met Many athletes from many different sports who are playing for the paycheck, and I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong, because you know if you can go to a corporate job for a paycheck, what's the difference? Why are why is somebody's not wrong for being an athlete if that's your job because that's your thing you're great at? But like you're like you're alluding to and we're talking about here for those athletes who because we know them who want to have and create a life after sport but they're too scared to go into that life. If i were to like leave a message it's like you know ask yourself the question first what are you what are you holding on to
1: identity it's if it's all you've done for 15 years how do you say all right let me stop and then just go into something different you know different
0: yeah exactly it's identity
1: even if you don't make millions of dollars i don't think the money even matters
0: well yeah case in point again with myself it's like no the money doesn't (laughs) no because i can say it myself i've had like I said, houses, a couple yeah. 10, 20 grand in the bank, and I had the toys, the accolades, and it—it it doesn't fucking matter. I was still just straight like
1: that. It doesn't.
0: If that stuff mattered, I wouldn't have been in the situation I was in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there's so much like the message is is that there is life after sport. Yeah. We just—it's like you think that sports everything, and it's not. Like you say. Ball is life, but life is not ball. There's so much more to life than just the sport.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm going to be a hooper forever, but part of that, like even being a hooper now has got me to sit with you and talk to you. Forever.
0: Well, th- yeah, this is this is a great example. It's like, I'm, I feel the same way. Yeah. The, the amount of cool stuff that has happened because of sport that you couldn't do while you're competing now opens up the doors. It's like, hey, you can go to this event, you can build this career, you can like try to you know whether it's go golfing with this this executive that's really wanted your time that you couldn't spend time with because you're traveling or if you have like one of my most passionate things that I want other athletes to think about is like, what's your philanthropic idea that you might be able to create or get involved in? You know, how much is sport given to you? Can you create something through your sport, your story to give back to your community? Like I did with Sleds for Kids. I mean, I got literally goosebumps on the back yeah, of my look, neck right now.
1: You stood up. You got, yeah. you got, I, th- I thought you were about to jump me. <laughs> like, don't, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me.
0: Or like, you could go teach, you could teach your sport to kids. Like, I know other athletes that it's like, now they host lessons for high school kids or yeah. like varsity athletes that want to get to the next level. It's like there's so many cool things you can do in life after
1: sport, but you can't do them until you leave sport. Until you're ready to accept that though. And that's the hard part. Acceptance and removal of identity and 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 understanding that you're on to it's okay to be onto something else. Yeah and
0: and and my message then is like become the creator. It's like you gotta create that. It's like people will give you ideas and suggestions, but The opportunity lies in you, like you say, letting go of whatever it is you're holding on to. if it's the identity, if it's the paycheck, or it's like the accolades, let go of that to then go create something new. But until you let go, there won't be space for that new thing.
1: But what if you're not an entrepreneur? What if you don't have that type of spirit the same way you have, where you, like when you stopped competing, did you know exactly what you wanted to do next? After that year, after you got cut, did you know exactly what you wanted to get into?
0: I knew I wanted to speak. But I was too scared to, like, I took took almost a full year off um, before I really got back into doing uh, presentations again. But I think there are many athletes that do have time and space to sit and reflect. I think taking time to sit and reflect, have some quiet time, sit with your thoughts, go travel, you know, just get away from sport and don't worry about going directly into um, a career would be very valuable advice I could give. And just allow yourself time and permission to sort it out. Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, like people you know that like go from relationship to relationship to relationship. It's like there's no gap in between to figure out who you are outside
1: of a relationship. What if you don't have the time or the money to do that? Um, in my situation, I didn't have that. I didn't have the time to, to take some time away. I had to go and work right away.
0: Um, one thing I think about is, you know, I think we might have spoken about this, is learning to leverage the time while you're in sport. Big time you know, like we're so focused on the podium, the championship, that we don't take time to network, build relationships, generate those ideas while we're competing. So that, that would be one piece of advice I'd share. Um, secondly, if, if you feel like you can, not maybe you do have to take a job. I know athletes that have had to just go get a corporate job right away because they only have a month or two of runway. Um, but like everybody else, I mean, you gotta figure it out along the way. And what, what advice would you give for those that don't have the, the paycheck
1: to carry yourself over? Do what you have to until you can do what you want to do.
0: Oh, yeah. It's a Jim Rohn quote that reminds me of He says, do what you have to as quick as you can so you can do what you want to as long as you can.
1: There you go. It's kind of I like had that. to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. I don't want to change it, but I had to do what I had to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't plan on working for someone else forever. Mm-hmm. Right. But I definitely had to do that. For a while, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I mean, one of the one of the next questions to ask is, what did your resume look like when you stopped? So well,
0: well I, I didn't have much. I mean, I knew that I <laughs> no from does. the twenty <laughs> well from the twenty one year old, twenty two year old kid that started the motocross business. It's like I knew then that I was I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Okay. So even when I was like taking a break and all that stuff, it's like I knew that I'd only want to work for myself. Like I did do some other part time stuff to try and see if I could do it, work for somebody else. And I know that I'm just, today especially, I'm cut out to be an entrepreneur. Right.
1: Um,
0: so, yeah, I think just took time to figure it out.
1: Do you think all the things you learned from sports <laughs> helped you become an entrepreneur now?
0: Discipline? Well, without, yeah, sense. without question, like, the, the and attributes helped me today. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm thankf- like grateful for are those relationships, like I said. That sport. That's, I mean, that's something huge. It's that's like, the biggest
1: one for me personally, relationships.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it's a regret, but oh my God, in hindsight, it's like, I literally have a photo on my computer that I saved of a box of business cards that when I was done playing sport, I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> Cause I had gone to golf tournaments and fundraisers and banquets and galas and all this other stuff. and met these amazing people in the business world. And all I did was grab their business card, never followed up with them and threw them in a shoebox. And the sport's done. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, I really wish I would have done, like, maintain those relationships or, like, save some notes on, you know, Susan has three kids and loves uh, hockey while Frank, you know, is, is passionate about art and wants to hang out for coffee. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. little stuff like that. Now I pay attention to. But um, when you're in sport, it's like you don't think about these things.
1: Well, you don't think about others. You're so tied into what you're doing. Hard right. To, hard to want to reach out to someone else when you're just about you. The only way you can get on the team is if is if you know you worry about you. You're one of the best twelve people on the team, so it's hard to think outside of yourself. But yeah, you know, while your name has relevance, that's very important.
0: Yeah, and so again, everyone's journey is a little different. I hope people have some kind of a runway. But if you but if you're if you know that you're like soon to like ready to leave sport, and you are still in sport, the message then is like. Start to work on these things today because I think we said the same thing on our um, initial Zoom call. It's like when you're done playing and you reach out to somebody for a meeting, like your phone call gets answered a lot slower.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Trust> me, <laughs>
0: like no. your email does not get a response in like two hours. It's like two days, yeah. if that. Yeah, like maybe two weeks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's so different. Like when I had like Team Canada in my email signature because I was a current player, it was like response, response, response. When I was off the team.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, don't kill me. Um, what do you, you I, I wanna talk about your, your hero mindset. When, when did that come into fruition? I know we touched upon it a little bit earlier, but, um, and before you enter that one, I, and you know, we'll go back to it, what, what do you think you have, um, have lost and what do you think you've gained when you stopped, um, when you stopped competing at the Olympics?
0: What did I lose and what did I gain? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, what I lost that I miss is I do miss the competition. I miss playing with the guys at the highest level. Like playing house league, you'll never get same the feel, same yeah. stuff. When you're, you're doing like tic-tac-toe plays and you know everybody on the ice knows where to go. Yeah. Like I really miss playing the sport at a high level because it was so much fun. Like I've never been able to, I still enjoy the sport, but it's not the same as it is at that level. So I miss that. What did I gain? I mean, you know, I, I, I gained my life, but in a new way. Um, like I said, the opportunities to build something that's outside of sport is something that's like really fun and exciting, but you just, like I said, you don't know that until you, until you get there, until you create it.
1: Mm-hmm. And, sorry, to go, to go back, your hero mindset, what are you trying to advocate to other people?
0: Yeah, so my keynote the Hero Mindset, the reason this was created is because I came home from the Paralympics and everyone called me a hero. When I had the medal, From Sochi, I go to events and they're like, Kevin, you're a hero. Oh my God, how did you do it? And I used to think to myself, I literally would get angry because I'm like, I'm not a hero. I'm just Kevin. But I would think to myself, I'm like, if you want to understand my mindset, how I overcame all these obstacles to get to the point of this podium or the medal, I'm like, okay, I had my story, but excuse me, as a speaker, they're looking for like a thing, like an idea, a big idea for people to connect with or attach themselves to. And so I was like, okay, if I've had my story, people think I'm a hero, they wanna understand my mindset. My story, as I speak about today, now is about the hero mindset. Mm -hmm. How did I adopt this mindset? How did I look to my heroes to make my decisions in those rock bottom moments to step up, to become that hero? And when we become a hero to ourselves we then can become a hero to others and the communities and the people or clients
1: that we serve. People who would look at you and your story though would consider you a hero. People look at athletes in the same way. You, over, you overcome great obstacles, you have slim chances of doing baseball, basketball, whatever, that you, you know what I mean, whatever the case is. So why not consider yourself a hero if that's the name of your, you know, your mindset? It's like you, you are a hero of your own story. Y-
0: yes, today, I mean, I don't go around thinking about that like, I don't, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hero. Like, I don't yeah. think about it like that. You want to have a cape? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I should get one. Maybe you Halloween <laughs> coming up soon. I mean, Superman, go ahead. Yeah. What I think about on a regular basis is not so much that I am a hero as much as I'm becoming a hero. What do that, you mean by that? Like, I do think regularly, because day to day, I still have moments, like I said, where I'm, you know, down in the dumps or like, I, trust me, I still have the why me thoughts go through my head. Of course. That doesn't go away. But it's like in those moments, I'm like, you know what? I'm figuring it out. It's like, what do I got to do different? Like, you know, can I take one more step? And it's in those moments that I today think to myself, I'm in the process of becoming, I'm constantly becoming a hero day by day, step by step, moment by moment. And I, I, yeah, so like I'm proud of myself of what I've accomplished, but I'm constantly wanting to accomplish more. And I feel a lot of pride and acceptance too. It's like, I'm not, Unhappy unless I get X. Right,
1: but you know, it's it's that's the life journey. Do you do you think you you think that goal of becoming the hero will will ever end, or do you think that's just a lifelong? oh well,
0: yeah, that's lifelong. It's like I mean, to the end, whether it's like you know beyond right now, I'm, I'm you know I'm single, business focused. Um, I do want a, i do want a relationship, and I if I have a family still someday that'd be super cool too. Right, but it's like yeah, that's that's the next thing. Whether it's like you know, uh, whether it's a family a philanthropic endeavor that you're pursuing. Um, you know, maybe I, I want to get into coaching. I'm just kind of dipping my toe into coaching other people okay. through business or through sport, and uh, want to grow that. But uh, maybe, I, I, right now it's not in my cards, but maybe one day I coach a sledge hockey team. You know, like that's something, I, right. I know that that's something I definitely would like to do in the future, I just
1: don't know when yet. You will, I, I can see that happening. What yeah. do you think your biggest challenge as a, motiva- as a motiva- motivational can talk
0: speaking mine too
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's let's cut that uh,
0: no I'm no i'll leave that because <laughs> when I
1: I, I, know, <laughs> I, know. I I mess up all the time i actually stutter this is funny so that that's why speaking for me is actually hilarious that i've chosen this path because i have a stutter as you just saw so as a motivational speaker <laughs> what do you think your biggest challenge is
0: when I, when I, I literally do the exact same thing though. Like when I stutter and I'm talking, I'm like, by the way, I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I, I I call it out as it is. Yeah. Um. But biggest challenge, I mean, I have challenges. There's nothing right now that I don't think that I can overcome. I mean, I, um. like, I'll just put it out there. I mean, if someone's looking for some coaching support, I'd love to coach them. My biggest challenge right now is I want to get a group coaching program off the ground. Um, I've taken taken a couple swings, didn't uh, market it properly. Okay. So that's something that I'm currently trying to overcome. Okay. Uh, In terms of keynotes, you know, I I know what I need to do in terms of like sharing my story and I want to become better, that's for sure. I would like to add humor. That's an example. We haven't laughed maybe as much as I'd like to um, because of the nature of the story. Of course. But an area of my speaking that I really do want to improve upon is finding ways to lighten the conversation. Because I know that by nature I'm a serious guy and I don't try to be, I just, I like spitting whatever the reality of the situation is. But it's like, I'd like to add more humor into my talks and find the nuances where we can, you know, where you can break the ice and give the audience room to breathe. That's something that I'm working on.
1: What do you want people to take away when they hear you speak?
0: hope and belief and and I don't even want to say hope it's like I want people to believe that they too can become that hero in their own story like I said whether it's like overcoming like you know a separation you know let, let go from your job you know the kids are going to school and they're struggling to navigate you know the new the new world we're living in or life after sport if you're an athlete to believe that there is life after sport if you're in depression whether you are an athlete or not that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I want people to believe that it's possible for them to become a hero in their own story. Amazing.
1: Um, as you continue your own journey, you talked about sledge hockey coaching. Is there anything else or any goals or aspirations that that you want to share? Uh,
0: like I said, outside of delivering more keynote presentations, workshops, I've created, in addition to the hero mindset, the hero mindset blueprint that is the coaching framework okay. and the framework that I deliver my corporate workshops from. Okay. So near aspirational goals are that I want to work longer with organizations to implement the hero mindset. And I want to work with individuals and in a group group setting as well, where I can teach the principles I've lived because I have loved doing keynotes for like 14 years now, but I want to go beyond a keynote where I just motivate people for an hour. Yeah. I want to, I want to actually help create the transformation. Okay. I want to help people get from that dark place or where they're navigating change to the other side, where they can say, Hey, you know, I worked with Kev for, you know, three, six, 12 months, mm-hmm. and like my life is completely different because of what I learned through the hero mindset and the hero mindset blueprint. Beautiful.
1: Um, you mentioned that you're going to be writing a book. Second book
0: is my goal. Second
1: book? Yeah. Okay. What do you want people to gain and to learn? Or, it, or give us a glimpse into what this book's going to be about.
0: My first book was my autobiography titled Still Standing When You Have Every Reason to Give Up, Keep Going. So I would encourage anyone in that dark place to go and grab that one My second book will be titled the hero mindset But what I want the hero mindset book to be about is not about me But about the stories of the people that I've helped implement it So it'll be a overview of the model the blueprint But like I say, I want to help create the transformations so that they become the real-life stories the case studies the examples of like here's how Joe here's how Susan took this idea and implemented it in their life to turn their life around. That's what I want the second book to be about. Why is that important to you? Because I don't want it to be about me anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's now time to shift that and get to other people.
0: Yeah. Like I I love that I wrote the autobiography because I wanted to get that out of my life, like out of me captured while I was still in my mind, but I can let that go. And so like, you know, people often talk about, you know, your second l- half of your life's a little bit different yeah. for many reasons, and I think that's something that I have transitioned into, where the first half was a lot about me and my accomplishments, goals, etc., my story, and I want the second half of my life to be more about other people, giving back, teaching, and uh, other pe- help, helping celebrate other people and not always be about uh,
1: what I do in your own story. That's not, that's dope, that's, that's really cool. I've, I feel like I'm doing kind of sort of similar to that right now and trying to get this off the ground but that's that's amazing um, before we end i I like to play a game yeah yeah, yeah. okay this game is called for three so you can answer any of the questions or statements with one word or one um, one sentence okay so when you hear you only die twice what comes to mind
0: one word or one sentence
1: one word one sentence you only, you you only die twice. When you hear that name, what do you think of?
0: Oh, I've. Um, oh, I'm not gonna remember. I remember someone saying a story about that. But what do I think about opportunity? That the second time,
1: you can do it differently. Describe your journey thus far in one word. I want to use two words. You can. I'll-
0: fucking awesome. <laughs> I was like, I was gonna say awesome, but like, no, it's been fucking awesome. <laughs>
1: That's a good one. When people see you, how do you want them to describe you? Oh, wow.
0: Um, I mean, fucking
1: awesome. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, one word, one sentence. uh,
0: Resilient is the one word that pops in my head, but I also want to be, you know, kind, caring, thoughtful. There's a lot. <laughs> more than one word. Resilience—the one, one that pops in my mind, though. Right,
1: yeah. It. Well, I don't need the cue cards or anything anymore. I want to say, Kevin, um, thank you so much for being here, being open. Um, you know, we spoke already, but I felt like I got more out of this conversation than I did the first time. You are a hero, I think, to a lot of people who are going to see this. You're definitely a hero to me. The things you've you've accomplished, the things, and your mentality about things, and you know, I, I can relate to being in a dark place. I've had three major surgeries in nine years and I I thought it was bad for me and just hearing everything you've overcome everything that you overcome within your family and how how difficult you know that that had to be and I know you can talk about it but you're only giving us the surface area there's a whole iceberg underneath that and I I I know that you know that that has to be a thing and I feel like you to come out the other side It will give people so much hope and it's even in my own situation, I've taken so much from this conversation. So I just want to say thank you for being here and thank you for being open about it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, brother.
0: Thank you very much for having me on and and for creating the conversations. Much appreciated because, uh, yeah, the work that you're doing as well for for not just athletes, for anyone anyone who's trying to figure out that next chapter of their life. It's a very important conversation. And so thank you very much as well for what you're doing, who you are, and for sharing your story. Pleasure. Thank you.
1: Hey, if you like this podcast, it would mean the most to me and our team if you could like, comment, and subscribe to our channel.